Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, brought to you by the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you are in charge of professional development and looking to build an innovative digital learning experience, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we uncover strategies that tech coaches are using to drive their digital transformations one classroom at a time. And now for your host, with over two decades of experience working with tech coaches and edtech companies from all around the world, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 188. And today we've got two amazing guests on who just launched a brand new book with the help of ISTE Publications called The Boundless Classroom, Designing Purposeful Instruction for Any Learning Environment. And we have the two co-authors on the show today. But before we get to that, how are you guys doing out there? Uh, things have been busy here on TeacherCast. I am so excited to share that I just completed my uh, my one-year Connecticut admin program, took the Connecticut administrative test, passed it, of course, and I am looking forward to an amazing summer. Lots of great possibilities and having an opportunity to work with you guys as instructional coaches. In addition to that, we also are getting ready to launch a brand new podcast out there with our friends at ISTE. Uh, There's going to be an ISTE community leaders podcast. Uh, community leaders are the ones that are out there and they're doing some great stuff on behalf of ISTE. It is going to be called The Edge. And I'm looking forward to that. We have a great group of ISTE uh, educators Um, about 10 to 15 of us or so that have been putting this show together. Our goal is to put the first couple episodes out over the next few weeks. So I'll be sharing that on the show as well. And really, I am here to help you guys and help support you guys. I want to say thank you guys out there for everybody who listened to our show last week called From Tech Coach to Tech Director, episode 187. We had a great conversation all about how does an instructional coach become an instructional technology director. And if that is you, if you're in that, uh, you know, I want to become an admin, I want to get into that admin tract, um, that is a great episode for you. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned on that show, that is going to be part one. We're going to be doing a lot more of that stuff. But needless to say, we've got a lot of great stuff over here on Ask the Tech Coach. Our Facebook group is now over a hundred is now over 430 or so uh, instructional coaches and growing each and every week. We've got a lot of great partnerships coming up with some amazing um, uh, educators that are going to be showing off all the good stuff that they do. So if you guys have a chance to head on over to askthetechcoach.com and check all that stuff out. But let's get into our conversation today. My first guest today serves as the executive director of schools within the Metropolitan Nashville Public School District. I want to bring on today Dr. James Vince Witte. James, how are you today? Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach. I'm doing well, Jeff, and uh, thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. What are you doing uh, in Nashville these days? Um, so I actually started uh, uh, the first uh, public virtual school here in Tennessee and uh, worked uh really did that work for over a decade. Uh, more recently, I was um, recruited to the executive director of schools position. Um, interestingly enough, that was the same time that uh, COVID hit. So it was actually um, probably perfect timing for our district leadership to have someone um, kind of in an elevated role to help think about what online learning uh, looked at looked like, especially uh, there at the beginning of, of COVID-19 when we were all kind of in lockdown and, and uh, working remotely. Um, so 
I've been passionate for many years about virtual learning, blended learning, and honestly, any type of learning where we can really get away from walls becoming barriers to when we learn um, and breaking down those barriers because learning is something that happens 24-7 throughout our lifetime. So uh, that's kind of been the, the center of my work. Uh, and here in Nashville, I focus uh, and work mostly with our high schools. I couldn't agree more the way that we're looking these days. You know, so many schools are trying to go virtual, trying to go, you know, hybrid. The, the, the different types of learning environments, especially coming out of COVID, is vast. And I'm looking forward to exploring that with you today. Well, before we get into that conversation, I want to bring on our other guest today, a returning guest to the TeacherCast Education Network, Dr. Nathan Lang-Rad. Uh, Nate, how are you today? Welcome back to TeacherCast. Hey, Jeff, I'm doing fantastic, and thanks for having me back on the show. I appreciate it, and great to see uh, my co-author James here as well. I am so excited to have you back on. Uh, you are making a name for yourself up in the great state of Maine. Tell us what you've been up to these last couple of years. Yeah, Maine is great. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live. And, you know, now I am the VP of strategy at Savas, a curriculum provider. So uh, supporting teachers to help support their students for meaningful learning experiences. But prior to coming to Savas, I was a teacher. I've been a principal and um, been a curriculum director. Matter of fact, I did work together with James in Metro Nashville. So that was a, a great opportunity for us to collaborate. We also uh, worked together. We uh, co-collaborated uh, around a, a course, a virtual college course together. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun. Today and we're fun talking fact when yeah, here's a fun fact. I'm actually in Nathan's old office. So when I moved up in the district, somehow I landed in his former office when he was uh, here at the support hub. And Jane puts me to shame because um, he is has a great eye for design and interior decorating and his office looks 20 times, 30 times, a million times better than what I had it. So um, it's impressive. <laughs> it certainly does look amazing. And, and you know, when we're looking at design, I just want to start talking today a little bit about where we are with classroom design, instructional design. I mean, today we're talking all about your your brand new book out with ISTE Publications called Boundless or the, the Boundless Classroom, Designing Purposeful Instruction for Any Learning Environment. And, you know, I have a chance to talk with a lot of instructional coaches. I know you guys have a chance to, to be deep and deeply connected in the instructional coaching world. Instruction coming out of this pandemic looks different. Teachers are trying new things. Some teachers are reverting back to old skills. What do you see education looking like as we're coming out of this pandemic, as we're moving into the summertime? I mean, we are definitely in a major transitional shift here in education, aren't we? Absolutely. So I'll jump in. One of the things we uh, really want to acknowledge, uh, sometimes we get stuck on labels around blended learning, virtual learning, in-person learning, remote learning. Um, this book just blows. We don't even talk about so much those labels. We talk about good instructional practices that can happen in person, online, um, and really just pulling everything that we've learned about all these different uh, ways of instructing students, how can we leverage that in any learning environment um, for all of our students? So uh, we, we really try to get away from labels and think more about instructional practice and how we can leverage every tool that we have 
um, to really create that 24-7 learning experience. Um, and honestly, we acknowledge that uh, families and students, uh, a lot of them have one-to-one devices since uh, COVID-19. A lot of districts have made that purchase. Um, a lot of districts have learning management uh, systems. And parents are beginning to expect uh accessibility um, and openness in the the learning environment. And students are really wanting the ability to continue learning and not be so confined by a a classroom or a building uh, in and of itself. So knowing that that expectation is changing, um, how do we re-envision the learning environment, um, leveraging everything that we've learned um, over the past, you know, uh, three years uh, to really create uh, a unique experience for students. Yeah, James, I really liked how you kind of codified that, it, you know, around these keywords of accessibility and openness. And, you know, I think about flexibility and we do write in the book about some lessons learned from the pandemic. And we know that there's there's a lot of burnout. There was a lot of disruption. Uh, we, we steered away from using learning loss and really focused around disruption because it truly was um, a disruption. So we also, you know, going forward have to be very intentional and purposeful of around how we plan our school day. And because of the disruption, we know there's going to be gaps in skills, uh, no fault of students. It just was the disruption that we had to undergo with being kind of thrust into a new world, maybe not with a lot of teacher support. So we know that teacher support is really, really important going forward. And we know that intentionality around planning and being able to meet students where they are, either in a hybrid, blended, uh, in-person environment. And so we want to be really, really flexible about how we are providing access for our students. You know, I just got done wrapping up a course in school improvement where basically the entire class was, you know, pretend you're the principal of a school. What would you do? And they gave you all these different scenarios. And, And I've been flipping through your book with that course in mind. Everybody that I was in that class with was thinking about curriculum. Obviously, curriculum is is a must. You have to be thinking that. But I seem to be the only one in the class with digital learning skills in mind of trying to figure out how do we bring those digital learning skills in. I'm going to put you guys on the spot. If you are the principal of a school or if you're in charge of a school, like I know you guys are working in, in, in school districts now, how do we help our teachers learn these digital learning skills? How do we help them teach in a whatever the environment is using these skills. I mean, we, I don't want to start saying 21st century. We know that that's silly right now, but how do you flatten the table right now and get all of your teachers on the same page at the same time? So that way you can take that first step forward. You know, I'm happy to jump in on this one first. And I'm thinking about digital learning skills. And sometimes the word or the adjective digital somehow scares people into thinking it's something um, far-fetched or, or futurist. And and I know maybe teachers who haven't had a lot of experience in the ed tech world kind of reject the, the digital label because it, it just sounds unknown and, and different and, and scary. And so I would I would challenge and say, yes, these are skills needed for future success and, and learning success. And those are skills like creativity and critical thinking and collaboration. And you know, so all, all those C's, you know, character uh, that we talk about. And so those shouldn't be isolated from the curriculum. Those really should be embedded in everyday practice and everyday teaching. And, and that is something we do focus in 
in our book and how we, in citizenship is a part of that as well. How do we get students to not only use those skills, but um, those skills should be a bridge to higher levels of, of learning and should really be integrated into the classroom. So I don't see it as a, as a separate kind of digital skills over here, curriculum over here. I think it should be inherent in our design. Yeah, and what we really, I think, tried to, to communicate in the book is that those practices are essential for in-person learning, they're essential for blended learning, and they're essential for virtual learning. So it doesn't matter the type of environment, they are just part of good instruction. And, um, you know, there are so many connections in terms of how you're delivering it, uh, whether it be blended or virtual, but those core things have to be there. And that's where we're trying to break down some of those, those walls. The core practices are not any different. It's just how you're doing it and leveraging technology may be a little different, but the practice itself is, is the same across all of those learning environments. What would a good first step be for a school leader? Yeah, yeah I, it, I, I think it would just be in the planning process. I mean, so teachers have to model these skills as they plan. They can expect their students to display and these skills if teachers aren't aware of how these skills manifest in the design process. So I would say in the PLC times and in collaboration times, having teachers practice the use of these skills and then also be intentional about how do we measure success for these skills as well. I mean, being very clear about those outcomes, what does creativity look like for teachers? What does creativity look like for students and so forth? So I think it looks like teachers practicing in their collaboration times. Yeah, Nathan actually, oh, I was just going to say, Nathan, Nathan actually did a really good job um, in chapter two, really focusing on um, uh, allowing, you know, leaders, instructional leaders to assess where they're currently at. Um, and in terms of uh, blended learning, virtual learning, in-person learning, um, and exploring how to integrate some of these ideas and action plan uh, towards success. So he's really embedded quite a few tools um, to really get you to think and brainstorm about how you're leveraging um, some of these strategies and plan for the future. Where do you see the instructional coach coming into this conversation? Everywhere. <laughs> how so? Well, I, I think um, there's obviously connections um, to practice um, the instructional coach, at least uh here in, in Metro Nashville Public Schools, uh, really are often the early adopters and the innovators who have been doing this work um, for over a decade and even beyond. Um, and I think it's always really important to, you know, leverage those people that are in the field doing the work daily that can um, connect real examples of uh, implementation and practice uh, and really spell that out for teachers. Um, so I think they have to be a partner at the table. Um, as an instructional leader, as a principal, you may have that vision, but you want those, um, those early adopters that have been doing this work at the table to help um, plan, design, implement, um, and really grow this practice with your teachers. Yeah, and I would add, that's a great answer, James. I would add that coaches partner alongside of teachers around very intrinsic goals that teachers have. It's not 
a coach's job to say, here's the goals we're going to work on. You know, it's what, how can I support you um, in a way where you feel like you're being the most effective teacher? So if it's around these skills, then it's setting goals early on around how we're going to reach those goals. If it's modeling, if it's modeling very specific skills in the classroom, uh, it's incorporating that into the coaching cycles. And and so, as James said, it really does kind of permeate all facets of the, the coaching cycle and the coaching teacher relationship. Let's dive into that a little bit, because I know right now there's a lot of coaches out there that have all the intention in the world to make these coaching cycles work to help their teachers go forward. But there are still a lot of teachers in these districts that are on technology burnout and they're still set, not separating, you know, the word technology from learning. We're, we're not quite understanding that this is all incorporated. Technology is just part of the learning process. It's not something. And, you know, we say here on this show, it's the through, not the, and you're not doing the curriculum and technology You're doing the curriculum through the, technology skills. What advice do you have out there for instructional coaches who are struggling? It might be the end of the year. They might be brand new. Nate, you've worked with a lot of instructional coaches. You've written about it once or twice. Yeah. You know, I think a really great leadership practice is to evaluate the tools that are already in place in the district and not asking teachers to uh, consider lots more tools that you already, you know, if you have a tool, for example, an LMS, if you're using um, a particular, you know, let's say Google Classroom, for example, uh, and that's been successful, then just be very aware of what are some tools that work well with your LMS? Uh, what are some tools that already integrate? Or if you're using Schoology or Canvas. And so it's it's really incumbent upon the leader to be aware of how many tools and templates and forms that they're asking teachers to be responsible for and try to you know find creative ways to be able to use some of those tools so if they're already using google docs let's do google docs as a collaborative space and let's not adopt a new tool that does something very similar and so i, I think we can be very mindful of being uh, you know aware of the tools we're using and then um yes there are opportunities where we can integrate new tools if we have a, a new you know out, outcome or goal we're working towards and we find a new tool that can help us get there then that's an opportunity for us to do change management through leadership to help teachers adopt that new tool we have to provide lots of support we can't just say here's the tool go figure it out we have to give a lot of support around implementation what success looks like what happens when something breaks what do you do and so forth and those are tools uh, that and you know to shout out to to jimmy because he focused a lot of um, his writing around what are those tools needed for when teachers want to do, um, they want to design a course or when something breaks or we want to um, create X, Y, and Z. We have different pathways for teachers to get that kind of tech support. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we spend a lot of time communicating even in metro schools is the power of some of the tools um, and the efficiency. Uh, like even just considering something as simple as the LMS that now all teachers just about have been exposed to uh, here in the United States. I mean, just think about the grading capability 
where things can be auto graded um, and the time saving um, that happens in that space um, to also being able to have a grade book within the learning management system that is connected to standards and quickly look at analytics um, around standards and understand where your students are and where they need to go without having to sit down and really um, pull together paper and analyze and create like an Excel spreadsheet. There's so much power. Part of our role and job and responsibility is to explain um, the power, the efficiency, uh, and the time. It's going to time. There's so much time that can be saved um, and improve practice and give you more time back to really focus on individual students. Um, we even have a, a, a chapter uh, specifically around uh, developing course content. You know, if you have a, a concept that every year students struggle with and you have to reteach in, you know, small group or even one-on-one, -on -one, develop a virtual module just on that that can be um, interactive, that, that they can engage with. Um, that way you can personalize, individualize kind of that, that um that module to the student and assign it and meet their specific learning need, uh, but you're not having to recreate and do it over and over. And slowly we begin to really expand our realm of um, ability to instruct students uh, in an even more personalized way. I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And, you know, one of the things that I've said to my staff, one of the things I've said to my teachers, and I've said it here on the show many times, I'd rather not be called a tech coach. I'd rather be called an efficiency coach, showing you how to do something in five minutes that you might be doing in 30 minutes. And then now we can say, look, well, what can you do with that extra 25 minutes? Okay, let's figure out how we can work together and how we can manipulate. You had mentioned a couple of times, both of you, the, the concept of explaining the big picture. And I think this is a lot of times where coaches either don't have the time to might not be able to, or I feel a lot of times they talk about it up on the top levels, but they don't get a chance to talk about it in the classroom levels. Why is it important for a professional development or those conversations with teachers to happen where you are showing the roadmap, the vision? I mean, so many coaches just shotgun all of these different apps or, hey, I'll give you five minutes with my staff on a Monday, go. And all the staff sees is app technology, Chrome extension, something, they're not seeing the big picture, which then provides value for using the instructional coach the correct way. I mean, I think you get lost in compliance if you don't. I mean, everyone wants to see the purpose. I mean, we got a shout out to Simon Sinek with Start With Why. I mean, this is a concept we've been talking mm -hmm. about in education for a while now. We all want to find purpose in the work that we're doing. And if we are given a task and we're not aware of how that task connects to our daily work, then the task may get done, but I'm not going to be invested in it. I'm not going to maybe go the extra mile. I'm not going to see how this connects with my work. And so maybe a compliant person would say, okay, fine, I'll do it. But we're going to get a much more impactful result when teachers and coaches see the value or the, what they're doing and how it connects to the school vision or the district vision. So it is very, I mean, I don't think it's, there shouldn't be any kind of change initiative that's rolled out unless we've established the why before we even consider how we roll it out. 
Yeah, I would just echo what Nathan said. Um, we've been doing some professional learning kind of redesign work in Metro uh, schools, and we have embedded in at the beginning of every professional learning event uh, the why. You have to always start with the why and be very intentional, specific about why we are going down this path, why this is the focus and how this supports student instruction and professional practice. And then always ending that professional learning um, event, bridging directly to teacher practice so that they know how to make that bridge from what they learned and implement it directly into practice so that there is that opportunity to reflect and begin making those shifts um, immediately. And it sounds so easy. It really it does. does. <laughs> However, many coaches out there have to play catch up, right? And and we talk about this, I keep saying this, we talk about this a lot. The school year starts and the principal gets up and says, this is Nathan, he's going to be our tech coach and this is our science coach and our math teacher and our art teacher. But they never get a chance to actually say, this is why we're doing this. And so the coach then is sitting there the rest of the year either not being used, not knowing how to use, or they're the ones that are trying to explain to teachers what the purpose is, why there is. And for all the coaches that are listening that are right now, even in April and May, trying to explain teacher by teacher by teacher why they're here, how can those teachers have those conversations with their leaders and say, look, you got to explain to your staff why? It's hard for me as the coach to do this. You're the leader. I mean, we've talked a lot. I've written about it recently for, for some projects that we're working on. You have to have those conversations with the leader where the leader needs to be the one explaining, not the coach. How does a coach tackle that conversation to reset the stage, even halfway through the year? I think the onus is on the leader, Jeff. I mean, the, the leader, a teacher shouldn't feel like they have to own that responsibility. The the building principal, that is the that is a leadership responsibility. They have to uh, create not only create the vision, but be able to effectively enlist followers in the vision and, and create that buy-in. And so, I I believe that the onus sits squarely on the the leader. I do think the instructional coach has the opportunity because of the unique relationship the coach has to be able to provide kind of um, a pulse check and maybe some information on the culture to the principal and saying, hey, I think there's some clarity that needs to be established here. Can we, can we provide additional clarity for teachers about why we are undertaking this initiative? What outcomes do we have? What do we hope to achieve here? And I think that is an opportunity to re-clarify. Yeah, I would say, too, um, that is a perfect world scenario where you have a, lead, you know, a leader who has that vision, but that's not always the case. Um, one of the things that I've always been inspired by is uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. So if you're in that crazy situation where you've not quite gotten adoption yet, I would say work with some of your innovative teachers uh, closely and um, work with you know, work to expand your realm of influence by uh, building upon successes with that core team and leveraging them as your advocates um, and uh, also people to help grow that practice um, and really slowly bring in teachers who are interested in learning some of those uh, those skills um, and uh, 
integrating that directly into their classroom so that you get to that tipping point where people are coming directly to you saying, I want to know what's happening in uh, Ms. Wilson's classroom. I see that she is leveraging, um, uh, what are, what are the new cameras that kind of follow you around? We're using them here in Metro, but basically we're using those frequently so that we're recording um, class sessions and loading them into the learning management system so a student can go back and watch um, a class session 24-7 if they um, forgot something or they want to kind of review material again. But whatever the innovation is, leveraging uh, a small group of teacher and building out from there when maybe you don't have um, – uh, a leader that quite has the vision quite yet. The book is called The Boundless Classroom, Designing Purposeful Instruction for Any Learning Environment. Uh, do you guys have any good stories about writing this? How did it come? How'd you put the chapters together? Yeah, you know, I think it was, we were at the very beginning of the pandemic and James and I were, were kind of seeing the state of education and seeing the challenges and we out of um, uh, just a, a deep desire to help teachers and support teachers felt how could how can we contribute and you know based on the experiences our past experiences and also what we're currently going through how can we best support teachers so it really was out of a necessity and need to, to feel like we could do all it was our part in supporting teachers you know um, anything to add James oh I was going to be so much less professional <laughs> than you and just say so basically I I dove into one of Nathan's other book, uh, Everyday Instructional Coaching, and just absorbed that book like crazy. I thought it was wonderful. And I actually use that in um, how I uh, coach uh, executive leaders here. And I connected with him about doing some, some PD. And I was like, you wrote a book. That's really cool. I would love to write a book too. And we just kind of laughed about it and it started. So it was just, a, you know, the timing was perfect. And um, it was you know, that the content is so uh, needed. It was so relevant at that point and, and both kind of passions of ours. And uh, we just, it just happened organically. One of the chapters that's in here, and I'm glad it's in here. This is something that's been a passion of mine for the last couple of years is digital citizenship. Why did this need to be included in here? And do you have any good suggestions for school districts out there that are trying to figure out how do you include digital citizenship into not just the, digital curriculum, but really into any part of the learning curriculum. Jeff, digital citizenship has really evolved over time. Before it came on the scene as more of a tell, tell students how to, you know, don't do all these things on the internet. It, it was more of a, a deficit model. Here's all the things that you don't do. And and, you know, it kind of framing the Internet as this, you know, scary place. And and so it really is the digital citizenship is in a, a new kind of frame now where it's more about empowerment. It's, yes, it is a portion of it is making students aware of, um, you know, what are best practices. And, and here's how you have a um, productive conversation with someone um, on the message board and so forth. So it is really about the skills that we teach in person and how we do that online as well. So um, it is a different frame and I think it's much more impactful frame um, for how to empower uh, students to be able to interact online um, in a safe manner, but also a productive manner. Yeah, and I think the timing was important. You know, a lot of times we hit some of those skills in middle school, high school levels. We literally thrust all of our K-12 students 
into this learning environment. Um, and so we have to, you know, stand back and be reflective um, and really think about have we built some of these necessary skills um, for our students that are really experiencing learning in new ways, um, leveraging technology and, and um, making certain that we have set them up for success and built some of those fundamental um, or built the fundamental groundwork that they need to be successful in these environments. I think you nailed it with this, right? making sure that you're keeping students interested, making sure that you're doing real world learning. You had mentioned project based learning. I mean, for the last six months uh, in my elementary school where I primarily work, I've been working with our library media specialist on a digital citizenship curriculum. We decided to turn the library not into a learning media or a library media center but into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And instead of asking uh -huh. Nathan to say like, who are you? What, what do you like about yourself? We're asking Nathan to build his own superhero and he's designing his own costumes and all these great things. And now that you've got Nathan as a superhero, what does the superhero have to do? He's got to go attack the bad guy and the bad guy in this case is Ultron. Ultron is attacking the internet and is, and he's taken over his passwords and he's destroying all the, all the digital stuff that he's doing. And like, we're, trying to do these real world scenarios to get these kids excited. And it's amazing seeing these kids come into the library and completely light up because they're battling Thanos and Ultron and bad guys. And they're getting a chance to do digital citizenship work next to Captain America and use Google docs to create whatever they're doing. And when you're infusing all of this stuff, we then can take those digital literacy, literacy skills or digital citizenship skills and as a coach, I walk right into the fourth grade room or right into the fifth grade room, and we're implementing all of that stuff in science, in English, in social studies, and it's giving those students an authentic learning experience. And it's amazing to see this transfer when you actually have a team of teachers working together all for one common vision. Then you can start to explain why, not just to the teachers, but also to the students. And it's been awesome this year trying to see everybody get it. Do you guys have any good stories like that? Do you have any, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, this light bulb happened in, in a practice you were with or with a teacher you're working with? Well, you're kind of, you're kind of actually singing my song because, you know, a lot of times when I'm working with uh, teachers and even principals, I ask them to think back when you were in school, what is that learning experience that you remember? And, you know, it's been um, 25 years for me. So that's a long time. And the thing that I can, the experiences I remember our experiences, like I remember in social studies, we were studying World War II and each um, half of the class took on um, allied versus Axis, you know, powers. And we were um, kind of going through that experience of what the war looked like through the lens of being uh, a participant and understanding kind of uh, the dispute, what the disputes were about. But I can remember to this day that experience, because it was an experience. It's something that lives in me forever versus a, a quick concept that you share, but you never actually get to engage or experience learning. Um, uh, those, those are the learning events that stay with us forever. Those are the things that we will remember forever. And those are um, just the kinds of experiences we want our students to have. So you're singing my jam here because I'm with you. Um, those, that's just good instruction. That's designing instruction with purpose and intent um, that is going to engage students in higher order learning and thinking. And um, they will have 
built knowledge forever around that concept because they've had to engage and work with it so much. Yeah, it, it really is echoing, James. It's what learning is all about. I mean, uh, another I'll provide another example. I've, I've seen one a project where students are, it's, it's a math-focused project, and they use the tool Kiva. And Kiva is a wonderful um, connective kind of, uh, it's a website where people basically get crowdfunding for like microloans. And so it could be um, a family or a student in another country, and they went to maybe design fashion, or they want to, they have a they have a desire to help farming and they, they have a like they, they want to get packed for a new tool so they're asking for a micro loan and so students can actually give you know 25 dollars towards a loan but in the process they are using technology at like google meet or zoom to connect with other cultures uh if it's students across you know the pond and they are able to learn about their culture and they're, they're able to learn about why they are pursuing this passion this particular passion so they learn about money they learn about loans, they learn about economy, culture. It's such a, a great kind of melding of the different disciplines. And it's all connected to content standards. You know, they are learning rates and decimals and fractions all at the same time. And so that really is the authentic learning experience. It's what school should be about. I absolutely agree. And it's been great seeing all these kids light up. And it's even more important seeing these teachers light up, too. I mean, seeing, a, seeing teachers over the last couple of years put their heads down trying to figure out hybrid, virtual, whatever. Now, as a coach, we're getting a chance to work hand in hand, one on one with these teachers in their classrooms and seeing the smiles, both on the students faces and on the teachers faces. It's pretty awesome. And I'm looking forward to the summertime and I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening. Nate, what are you looking forward to as we move into the summertime and through next year? What do you got going on in front of you? Well, I mean, as far as teachers go, I, I hope teachers use the summertime to um, reflect and recharge and, you know, get some rest. <laughs> I also hope that they uh, are able to find some professional learning that's really meaningful and relevant to them. They have some choice in that. And, you know, my, my you know, compass always is towards supporting teachers so they can help design learning experiences to best meet the needs of, of students. So that is my personal mission. And so every project that I engage in, I return to kind of um, that purpose. And so that's, that's what I'm going to continue to do. Nice. James, how about yourself? What's in front of you? And do you see yourself talking to Nate one day and saying, how do you write a second book? I already did that. <laughs> and he turned me down. So I'm no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nate is very busy right now. So he's got a busy schedule. Um, right now, my focus uh, is really on growing uh, instructional leaders, our principals here in Metro National Public Schools. Uh, we've got some great professional learning happening um, uh, this summer. Uh, we're really excited. Um, and a lot of the same kind of issues and challenges, as well as support that we need to offer. Uh, we've discussed here today and and we're really um excited to deliver some of those uh, opportunities and experiences for our our principal leaders here nice good luck to everybody the, the book again is called the boundless classroom designing purposeful instruction for any learning environment it's available from ISTE books we're going to make sure that all of the links and stuff are down um gentlemen are you going to be at the conference this year yes plan on being there 
I'm going down. Nice. <laughs> I'm certainly looking forward to it. And of course, if you're looking for more information about ISTE books, you can head on over to ISTE.org. There's a lot of great stuff on there. This is just the first of many shows that we're going to be doing with our friends over at ISTE books featuring some of these great ISTE authors. Don't forget to check out teachercast.net. Do a search for ISTE and you'll find all of our author shows from this year and last year. Hope you guys have a chance to check that out. And that wraps up this episode of Ask the Tech Coach on behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to Ask the Tech Coach, hosted by Jeff Bradbury of the TeacherCast Educational Network. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at AskTheTechCoach or online at www.askthetechcoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.